podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Hello and welcome back to the Minefield podcast from Anfield Index Pro your sports psychology podcast where we delve into all things LFC and the mind and how it interacts with the pitch. As always, I am joined by my co-host, Mr. Andrew Vincent. Andrew, sorry, Dr. Andrew Vincent. Doctor, how are you doing? (laughs) That was a really nice intro. Thanks. The mind and how it interacts with the pitch. I'm inspired now. So let's, let's dig in. That's how I'm doing. Oh, he's inspired guys. We better watch out. This could be an interesting one. So we're recording this in the middle of the, or the start of the international break, which is light relief for a lot of people. Uh, A lot of people hate it because the real football isn't happening. And, uh, but we're doing it on the back of a win, which is, something we want to touch on and address because we were talking the last time about maybe the the challenges from the psychological perspective that the the, the players and the, and the coaches have been experiencing and how that has played out in terms of intensity on the pitch and obviously Jurgen Klopp listened to the last Minefield podcast and got the whole team to listen to it and the lads took a lot of inspiration from your words so well done Andrew on your well-deserved victory against Ajax but as a as a fan, but also as a fan with a sports psychology hat, did you notice any big changes in the the way we went about about our business against Ajax? Um, you know, the big thing is like we looked like us. You know, identity was back. Mm-hmm. Um, to steal a phrase from the much maligned Pep and Linders, <laughs> our identity is intensity. Um, and, and that was back, like that was noticeable. So like, I I think that would have been the biggest thing I wanted to see is like, it doesn't need to be complicated. It just needs to be everyone doing the things that we recognize. It doesn't even need to be the case that the execution of that is perfect. As long as it's recognizable, that's an important step forward. So I think that my, my impression is that was very much recognizable. I thought we saw, um, some effort from people that maybe we hadn't seen it from and, you know, whether or not that's about motivation or about, um, you know, just getting a few things straightened out that allowed people to apply that intensity appropriately. Um, not sure, but um, that's the biggest and most important thing is being recognizable and then getting a win after being recognizable because that just reinforces this idea that our identity is effective. Hmm. And do you place much importance on the you know the, the narrative that is around a lot at times when it comes close to a, a an international break or a break in in the season is there 
a lot of weight in getting that victory just before you break up as opposed to experiencing a draw or defeat, do you think? Um, I think if you lose, then you say maybe the break is good for everyone. And if you win, then you say nice to go into the break on a winning note. So, you know, I think either way, like the the story of the break is kind of what you want it to be. Um, you know, in this case, I think it was important for us to win that game just because there's been so little football because of the postponements we've had. Um, and to, you know, get our identity on track. But, you know, I think at the same time, if something had happened and we had lost that game or drawn that game, you know, just having a little bit of a foothold in terms of looking like ourselves again was the most important piece. And I think would have been enough to give us a positive step into that break. Um, and I think maybe it's good that some of the players are away a little bit. And as long as everyone comes back healthy, um, then sometimes this kind of break can just be a nice reset and you go somewhere else. I, there's like a, I don't know if people have had this experience maybe, but like sometimes when you're in the middle of something or you're pushing really hard for something and things get a little bit of frustrating, get a little bit frustrating. Like you take a break, even like a couple of days or a couple of weeks and you come back to it and it's surprising how much easier it feels or you change something and like, then you come back and um, you notice that all of a sudden it's like, Oh, actually this is coming much more naturally. And so I think the break probably will allow for a bit of that too. You know, people go somewhere else, they play a slightly different role, they're around slightly different people, you come back to the original context, just slightly shifted, having a different lens and perspective. Um, I think I think that can be a good thing. Tired, maybe, but like um, that shift in perspective can be super important. Yeah, definitely for me, very similar to what you were saying there watching it, I was of the impression that the process was back, like you said, the identity. But for me, I think no matter what the result was, obviously it wouldn't have been good to have a defeat or or even a draw, but how they played, so how they did what they did, was more recognisable for the for what we are used to seeing from this group of players, which I think was more important than anything else, or certainly as important as anything else as well. So I I think having that experience and that, the the performance as much as the result um, is is going to allow them to come back recognizing themselves and and knowing that we can still do what we have been used to doing. And Mm -hmm. because I could imagine for individuals, you know, they probably look at their performance and go, what's happening? What's happening for me or what's happening for the team? Like, why are we not performing? You know, uh, and that's where fingers can begin to be pointed because we as human beings look for, I won't say we look for narratives, but we look for meaning or for, we look for explanations. And look, there's no better person in the world for me to be sitting down having this conversation with given your background in philosophy and psychology. But... Do you think that there is a, an importance there for for the players on an individual basis and maybe the, the coaching staff as well when it comes to looking at narratives? Or do you think as professionals they are less likely to be impacted by narratives 
or looking for explanations than say we would be as you know the average fan i think that they everyone's going to be looking for meaning in narratives um that's part of why sports psychology has a role is because players can get themselves tied into absolute knots trying to tell themselves a coherent story about why they're playing the way they're playing um that being said like within the team atmosphere like there's going to be a huge difference in the kinds of narratives that are going around the kinds of stories that are going around they have more information you know like they're there like they so there's going to be like more truth to those probably to some extent um you know like for whatever reason i've continued to read um the transfer the transfer chat <laughs> and like there's a lot of like a lot of concern that pep blinders has become like a behind the scenes force for disruption of what was otherwise a really steady system um and i think like that's that's a good example of for all i know that could absolutely be true mm -hmm. like i i have no idea I sort of doubt it, but like it could absolutely be true. Um, but like that's the kind of thing, like if that's not going on behind the scenes, there's not going to be a lot of players like making that kind of speculation. You know, like the players in the groups and the staff, like they're all talking to each other. Narratives happen also through communication, right? So we have shared narratives, which provide like a little bit of a gravitational force. Like usually there's a majority of people who share a common narrative to the extent that like a whole group can kind of share some sort of common narrative, um, you know, that helps everyone get on the same page. So I think if there's a clear story of why was the start to the season problematic, what's gone wrong here, how can we fix it and what comes next? Like there's not going to be a lot of speculation and issue there in terms of asking questions or pointing fingers. It's just everyone's on the same page. Um, so the in the ideal world, you have a common story within the team. In a group where there's going to be more issues, there's probably several different narratives that go around. Or, you know, everyone's got their own idea and that creates some, some issues. But, you know, from the fan side, um, you know, we want to know what's going on too. We want to make sense of what's going on too. And from the outsider perspective, like there's even more gaps we need to fill with our own ideas and our own theories and our own speculation. And that doesn't mean we're always wrong. It certainly doesn't mean we're always right. But um, yeah, of course, we're going to try to fill in those gaps with whatever we think. And sometimes, um, you know, fan speculation might have a greater tendency to get carried away. Mm. And I suppose that's because there is an opportunity for Sorry, that's be possibly because there is such a lack of actual insight among the fans group and then we don't know what to believe or what to trust. So, mm -hmm. you know, my best friends, cousins, sisters, aunts, dog, you know, was running past the, the training ground and, you know, heard, heard Linders fighting with Klopp. You know, maybe that's actually what happened. Maybe it's not. And there is that lack of context. But let's step away from sport for a split second. Just to, I want to ask you from your kind of experience or your study, like, why do human beings look for 
meaning or narrative or answers to something that they logically know that they don't have enough information available to them to actually make an informed decision. Well, I think the second part of that saying, I don't actually have enough information available to make an informed decision is typically not part of human thought process. <laughs> okay, so we most um, people don't do that. <laughs> right, well, right, because like, I think there, there's a couple of different versions of this, right? And so, you know, from like a survival standpoint or like, um, God, what the heck is it called? It's like the, <clears throat> not developmental psychology, but the one that goes all the way back. To evolutionary. The That's the one evolutionary psychology from that perspective. There's a, there's a functional aspect to it, right? Which is like, um, if I'm going through the world and I sort of am trying to make sense of things and I develop these stories that allows me to remember things. So like not even a story like, um, I don't know, like some myth or some his like, you know, those have their purpose too. But even a story like, oh, I dropped these seeds on the ground here and a plant grew the next year. That there's this functional perspective of, oh, these seeds must turn into plants or this must happen because of this. This, be therefore this, gives us a way of like creating hypotheses essentially and then sort of testing those even if it's in an informal way like you have to have these ideas that this is happening because of this um just for that to happen and so like you know science is full of these stories that didn't pan out but those were able to be tested and history is full of those ideas that didn't pan out you know whether it's like the earth is at the center of the the solar system or the universe or you know flies spontaneously generate from meat or, you know, like all sorts of these different things that turned out to be, of course, not true. You know, it's the the best wisdom at the time. And if you don't have those stories, or you don't have those explanations of why it's really hard to intentionally manipulate your environment. And so, um, you know, that that's part of it is just functionally, it's part of how we think we have these schemas we have these stories it gives us maps of the world those maps of the world allow us to test things out or to intentionally manipulate things sometimes we're right and we keep going sometimes we're wrong and we have to change that story but there's always a new story um you know the other piece of it is like emotionally protective and so you know having control or some sense of control or some sense of stability is uh pretty much like a basic human psychological need. Mm. And so people struggle when they don't have any sense of what's coming next, that there is no sense of predictability and stories help us have a sense of what's coming next. Like this, therefore this, or this happened because of this, like helps us feel like we have a little bit more control or helps us feel like there's something that we can do. And so, you know, especially that feeling of, I don't know what's coming next and there's nothing I can do about it is like hugely unsettling. And so sometimes it's even just this sense of, um, I don't know, let me think of something. I'm kind of drawing a blank here, but like, I don't know, like we can even bring it back to football a little bit. Like um, something that I imagine is really nice for the coaching staff and the players is they have a bad performance and they think, okay, there's something we can do here. Let me find a, a problem and then come up with a solution for it. And that makes me feel like I'm doing something. And, you know, that's probably also why there's conversation and speculation is like even just having those conversations about between fans of what's the problem here helps us feel like we're solving something. So being able to be proactive about your next step 
um, requires some sense of narrative. It requires a story of what the issue is. And that is like hugely calming or at least pro- provides some purposefulness and direction, mm-hmm. which is important for people. It's without that people really start to struggle. Yeah, I'm listening to you here, fascinated, going to kind of replaying from my own background and stuff like that. And, you know, so I suppose regular listeners will know I work a lot with teenagers and young people. And a lot of the narratives or beliefs that we take on as kids are for survival, like you said, to make try and make sense of the world in order to keep ourselves alive and also get other people to protect us. So, you know, if I'm a really nice kid and behave well, well, then my mum is going to give me dinner tonight (laughs) or or my dad is not going to throw me out of a moving car, you know, so like, okay, extreme examples, but the child brain cannot process that actually I'm okay and I am capable of taking care of myself, looking after myself. So I need to try and find the, the, the narratives that the world around me is telling me in order to keep me keep me safe and alive and provide some mm-hmm. sort of structure and boundaries for me because i don't know i can take care of myself so i need someone to put those boundaries in place until i learn that i can take care of myself and i don't need those boundaries right but society wise we need boundaries to know that we are safe and like you said provide that um security for us and then i'm listening to you as the football fan and okay none of us know that liverpool doing well or not doing well is life or death situation for us <laughs> but it does or can significantly impact our mood and how we interact in the world around us and we have zero control over that so i have i have friends whose partners have turned around to them and said it's either me or the football as in i can't live with you when the results don't go the way of the the team that you support and i'm not putting up with it anymore and i've had other friends who go and go my week is ruined liverpool lost the weekend my week is ruined so i am giving myself a um permission to be a grumpy fucker for the rest of the week. (laughs) And I have a justifiable reason for it because the thing that's completely out of my control didn't go the way I hoped it would go. So that's okay for me to be grumpy. And, you know, (laughs) that's one of those things too, right? Where it's like... That can feel like your only recourse Mm -hmm. when you have no control. And so this bothered me I can't fix it, but I want to show that it bothered me. So my week is actually ruined. I'm going to show that my week is ruined. And maybe it's a little bit performative to just demonstrate that like, okay, like I care about this a lot. Maybe it's sort of like just that lingering, I can't fix it, you know? And so this can't, my emotional energy can't be resolved until this is fixed, which means hopefully we fucking win next week. Because otherwise, like, this is just going to keep getting worse. And, like, that's that's part of it with narratives. Like, it that's, that's the kind of thing that can sort of happen if there's no opportunity for action or alternative solution is that, like, things can linger or feel unresolved. I mean, like, 
as silly as it is, they're definitely like I can remember during the Brendan Rodgers era where I used to play FIFA much more regularly. <laughs> there were times where like if we played really badly or played in a way or like tactically it was frustrating. Like I would go play a game of FIFA and set up the team the way I wanted just to have this sort of like experience that I was in a little bit more control. Like I could just work it out of my system. Like this is how it should have gone. This is how I wanted it. And like that would sort of help. I don't do that anymore. But like, you know, sometimes just even having something like that can feel like here's what I would have done. Here's how this should have gone. Like there we go. Resolved. The energy of that is resolved. Like it's sort of worked out of my system. But when that lingers, you know, and that can either linger from, we have no resolution or we have no control as fans or it can linger just be like if there's no apparent solution or apparent narrative it's you know it's probably why plenty of people go online and you know spend some time just dumping their complaints out there saying here's the problem here's what's going to happen i i don't think that's a terrible thing as long as it doesn't linger for you like if you as long as you're not abusing anybody as like if you want to go somewhere and just like have a rant like good get it out of your system maybe that feels good you feel like you've gotten that sort of energy out you've got some resolution someone has heard and understood your complaints and you've maybe within that rant told a story of well here's what's wrong Hmm. and that can feel really like okay now i understand what's wrong and i can calm down or you know sometimes sometimes what i like about post-match raw sometimes what i don't like about (laughs) sometimes what i like about match raw is like it helps me create a story of what went wrong like you know, Dave and Carl, like they often have a really good perspective of what's going on on the pitch that just like helps me make sense of, oh, here's the issue. And, you know, sometimes under pressure is the same way. I'm just like, I don't really understand what's going on here. So just having some sense helps me feel like, okay, like at least I understand it. And sometimes that's more relaxing for certain people than others. Like, you know, different people have different ways of interacting with the world, but like making sense of something can be soothing or as calming or at least like take the edge off of that anxiety and angst that comes from having no narrative at all yeah and you know in fairness we we will doff our calf caps to uh post-match raw because they record straight after a match and i i do admire their ability to be relatively objective given the emotion of most of the time you know give yeah. in fairness like i i don't know if i'd be that that uh clear th- thinking i have that much clear thought if if it was uh if, if i was on it but the other piece that i do want to touch on is purpose so for any of the people i've worked with who maybe are very low you know there may be a high anxiety or, you know, levels of depression or whatever that might be that they might be experiencing. A lot of the times that they have no purpose or they have no sense of what their purpose is. And mm-hmm. I genuinely believe that we all have a, a reason to be here. Like There is a, a reason why we come onto this planet. And as long as we work towards that purpose or try and figure it out, then, you know, for the most part, we're not going to go far wrong. And I'm wondering is there a potential that the start of this season that the the purpose and the execution of that purpose for the season became muddied or muddled you know because it is a narrative and 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 I'm that that's where I'm taking this this thought process from the narrative mm-hmm. that we've had to change our style of play 
to fit Darwin Nunes and Darwin Nunes cost going to cost 100 million euro or 100 million pounds whatever it is and um, so we need to change our system all right and that means Mo is different and Harvey's different and uh, you know everyone's different Trent's different could that be a challenge where the purpose has shifted and the players haven't bought into that new purpose or that is it as maybe as simple as the execution just hasn't gone the way we would have expected given the injuries and you know dips or you know lack of not lack of fitness but the the, the potential tiredness that's there could influence I think, you know if we were going to make sort of an impromptu hierarchy here like there's different so I'd almost put it as like purpose sits up here at the top as being this big picture. What are we up to? You know, team identity sort of falls below that as, as a group, what do we do to achieve that purpose? Individual role falls under team identity as how do I personally contribute to the team and to this bigger picture of purpose? And then, um, I don't know, there's something under that that I maybe will remember. In my head, I had a, a fourth tier here um the lenders effect <laughs> I think in some ways like the the purpose is about winning games or winning trophies or you know that that's sort of how i see like i separate team identity and purpose a little bit like and i think i think the purpose of this group so sometimes you can have like a a problem at that level of purpose let's say we won the the quadruple last year and you hear this from players all the time where they talk about when you feel like you've achieved everything, you feel like you've achieved a lot, that sense of purpose becomes really different. So when Liverpool hadn't won a title in 30 years, winning that first title creates a really purposeful atmosphere. This is what we're driving for. Um, you know, now this group has won every trophy at some point. Like, I think there's a really strong sense that they want to win one of the big ones again that they wish they had won one last year. So I think at the level of purpose, like there's a lot of really good direction that this group has. That's my sense. Like they don't, don't get the feeling that this group feels like they've achieved all that they could achieve. Like they haven't actualized their ability yet. And I, I think as good as they have been for prolonged stretches, they have not seen the payoff of that in terms of major trophies, the way I think most of us as fans would say, they were capable of winning a few more. And I think within the camp, there's probably a realization of that. Mm. Um, you know, coming then to you're sort of talking about like what I would see is like the intersection of team identity and purpose, because you, you have new players and a new generation that's coming in. Part of that is about this purpose of like, we have to turn over the team a little bit in order to be competitive for those trophies. I think probably like, then where the dis not the dysfunction, but where the changes have happened this year are team identity and player role. And um I just think it's an adjustment. I don't know if it's dissatisfaction with that, so much as people needing to come to grips with those things. And just like clearly some mistakes that were made along the way, probably pretty minor mistakes. And you know, we've talked about it a few times on different pods. When you have a bunch of factors that come together. It's important to not too heavily weight any one of those, but to consider all of those and how those affect the product on the pitch and, and the sense of narrative. And so it's like really, really important, you know, 
Did we look more like ourselves last game? Yes. Is one of the reasons for that, that we rediscovered our identity? Perhaps. Is it just that we had Jota playing center forward and we had Thiago back on the field? That could be too. If you took them out, would the identity look really sloppy again? Maybe. And so like that's one of those things where in the one sense, it's really easy to say, oh, good, we rediscovered something and we're back at it now. But it might also just be those two players made all the difference. And it's hard for us to know or anyone to really know what the what the reality is there. Um, yeah. So, like, I, I think looking at it just from all of those different things and, and how those play into narrative and how those play into individual roles and this broader sense of purpose, I think we're okay at the purpose level. I think identity has shifted a little bit. That probably had bigger implications for individuals than we were able to figure out in a short period of time while other things were simultaneously going wrong. And so, like, if we had had everyone healthy and we had had, I don't know, like a couple of those games we could have won, you know, like maybe one of those results goes our way, even though we didn't play great, like things feel probably a lot different. And maybe it allows those players to settle into these new roles in a totally different way. Maybe they still aren't quite settled, but we have more points and, um, you know, things aren't quite so frustrating. So it's like, it's important to like play around with details too and see how this story could come together differently. And sometimes that also like considering alternative narratives is a nice way of getting some perspective and also like just kind of, I don't know cooling things off a little bit maybe yeah but we also when we challenge ourselves and our challenge our beliefs that provides an opportunity for growth as well so you know if we stay the same and actually this kind of leads nicely into you know your favorite thing on discord which is the transfer chat like do you think that so if we look at okay we have to look at man city at the moment right they have kept such a consistent level of performance over the last five to seven years. It's been nothing short of phenomenal. Like, and I hate to say that, right? And while money has allowed them to, you know, buy the level of player and pay the level of player that maybe is beyond where we could do it, right? that still needs to be knit in. That still needs to fit into the identity of the, the team and the, the fabric. And yes, better players can probably adopt much easier, but it's not guaranteed, right? But one of the things I'm wondering, City versus us, is what's your take on... They have continually tried to improve their first team year on year by adding players that will challenge the existing players that are there for a first-team position. Whereas a lot of fans will feel that we haven't done that, except in break-glass situations. And could that have a negative impact on the motivation levels, again, which is something that's thrown at players, but also at the... Where, where people can get a bit stale in the role that they're in. So my my take on this, I was actually, I was thinking about this the other day. Um, I think it has a lot to do with the way that team identity 
is reflective of manager personality and club policy then becomes reflective of manager personality, especially when you have really exceptional people who end up with a lot of control and sway the way Pep Guardiola and Klopp both have. And I think part of it also comes down to the way they solve problems or the way they see how do you achieve victory? But also just, you know, for them personally, um, Pep's a problem solver. Like, he's <laughs> he wins a lot of games, but I don't necessarily think, like, he ca- like he definitely cares about winning, but, like, he wants to solve soccer, <laughs> right? Like, that's how he approaches the sport, is, like, what is the right way to do this? What is the approach? How do you drill that approach? and create a team that functionally does this magnificently. And so that that's what his groups have been doing. And I think within that, player personalities aren't quite as important. Like you can chop and change a little bit because what you're really focused on is a way of playing that you get and so like that that falls in line with Man City. You find the best people to play these certain roles, but like anyone can sort of be put into these roles. And so especially with Man City, like you just get the best players you can find. You try them out in these roles. And then as long as you have someone who's brilliant at solving soccer, which Pep is, you're going to have a pretty good level of success. Um because he's got the right ideas and evolves them well and can train them well. Um, you know, I think some of the things you hear here and there are that like, he can be really interpersonally good, but he can also be interpersonally not very good and kind of icy to certain people. Um, but you know, that's just how he operates. I think, you know, Klopp on the other hand, Klopp's perspective, I think comes largely from his experience at lower level soccer and comes from his time managing minds. And one of his ideas is that if you can create a really good energy within the group where everyone feels important and everyone is working together, then the level of effort you can get from that group surpasses the sum of its parts and allows you to outwork, elevate everyone and outwork everyone. And that's where you'll find success. And I think... You know, I, I'd mentioned this to someone in the minefield discord chat, actually, that like, um, his experience as a lower league player, when you're working with less talent, it's more important that everyone is elevated and context can bring so much out of players. And it's not necessarily because when you get to lower levels of talent or you get to something like league two in Germany, where everyone there is talented, but not as complete is what I would say. Um, it's more important to create systems that bring out individual strengths and to really focus on that individual strengths and sort of like ignore some of those downsides. And so I I think in Klopp's perspective and the way he approaches the sport is like people and the way they affect the overall group have more importance than they would for Guardiola. And it's why someone like Milner or someone like Henderson or someone who's maybe interpersonally brings a lot out of the people around them becomes harder for him to drop than it would Guardiola. Guardiola is trying to solve soccer. He needs someone who can perform the role. If they can't perform the role, then they're out. 
On Klopp's side, I think you might have someone who can perform the role better than someone else, but he's probably also just really attentive to how people are affecting the overall group. The sense of group energy and intensity like matters a lot more. Group energy as it pertains to intensity, but individual leadership and as it brings out the intensity of the group is a much bigger part of how he sees the game. And so I think that's that's maybe how team identities are reflected in like the individual backgrounds and approaches of those two people. This is a psychological deep dive, I think, Al. I think this is, we're is in it, the weeds. We, but, we, uh, we are in the weeds, but it's, it's, I was going to say it's really important. Maybe it's not important. It's interesting. <laughs> Put it that way. Right? It's interesting, I yeah, think. Yeah. So, so I'm, I'm curious then, is there potential for the current group of players to finish their careers and say they don't win any other major trophies between now and when they leave Liverpool, right? For them to go away and go, I wish I'd played for Pep because I would have more trophies and more medals in my medal cabinet. Of course, there's always a possibility, right? Um, I think the other part of that, though, there's going to be a lot of Guardiola players who will walk away and say, I wish I played for club. You know, mm-hmm. and I, I think that the, might be a little bit of a grass is always greener thing, a little bit of a, you know, I wonder what I would have been able to get out of myself. I wonder what they would have been able to get out of me. You know, maybe it's about trophies. And you're looking at purpose here, too. Like at the end of your career, if you're looking back at how many trophies did I win? What did we not win? What was left on the table? Maybe you're looking at, okay, that was, you know, I would have wish I was in a Guardiola team. But then maybe you look back at your career and you were just like, hey, we had this awesome atmosphere in this team. And we accomplished some great things. We fell short a couple times. But like... I have this unbelievable relationship with Klopp, which a lot of his players feel like they do. You know, I was part of this mentality monsters thing. I was like, we achieved a lot and and maybe that's enough for people. So it it really just depends. And I think, you know, maybe you win a bunch of stuff over in, I wonder what Raheem Sterling thinks sometimes. Okay. I wonder if he wishes he had hung out and played for Klopp. He would have been awesome under Klopp, I think. Really awesome. Um, I think so too. And I think he would have been loved, which he's never really been, you know, like maybe he, maybe he had a good relationship with, with Pep in some ways, but like, it doesn't necessarily seem like it. He's never, he never really as good as he was there. He was always a little bit dispensable. It seemed like, and that's why he's in Chelsea now. And I think Klopp creates players who are indispensable and makes them feel really good about that. He would have been that for Klopp. He would have been unbelievable. And I wonder if he looks at that and he thinks like what I could have been there would have been exactly what I wanted, you know, and um, rather than having the the medals in the trophy cabinet. Yeah. Well, because like, I know for a fact it matters to player. How big of a role did you play in that medal? Some of those, some of those Premier League titles are going to be more important for Sterling than others. Hmm. And like the ones you play a big role in matter more. It's not just about, Hey, did we win this? It's about, you know, did I play the role I wanted to play that I feel like I could play? Like, was this group getting the best out of me too? Like that, that matters a lot to players. And so I think like, 
you know, one of the things Clop does well is makes people feel important. And so, you know, even if you weren't playing the most central role in that team, you know, probably in a Klopp team, you might feel more important than you would in a Guardiola team, where probably the system is a little more supreme than the people. It's not just about, you know, it's not just about relationships with Klopp. It's not just about I care a ton about all these people. It's also about what that generates in terms of this purpose of winning. And I think he cares about relationships a lot, too. But um yeah, so that that's how I would I'd put those things. And I, I think it does make transitions more difficult in a Klopp group, though. He clearly has trouble letting go yeah. of people when they're done. Not like done, done, but like... Not able to service the, the, the right. position that he needs to the level they well, needs him to be able to do it at. And I mean, he's a force of personality, right? And so I think he sees people who are that force of personality. And part of it is also just a belief in... What he brings to the table, his personal strength is having that gravitas. And so when he has those players around who bring that too, he values that a ton. And it's probably the story of his career in certain ways. And like he talks about that, right? Like he says, I was really average or not spectacularly talented as a player, but mentally I was really good. And I think he means that in terms of intelligence, but also in terms of emotionally and then like bringing the best out of people and being a leader. And so... It wouldn't, you know, a lot of people have a tendency to overvalue the things that they themselves were good at because they value those things in themselves. Hmm. Was that important as well, though, to be able to value the things that you have? In yeah, well, I mean, of course, like <laughs> having, we can talk about it with Klopp, but, you know, every everyone to some extent is like this, right? Like we see the world through the lens of our own perspective and... So like on the on the Guardiola side, we've seen him horribly fuck up games, trying to be too smart. Hmm. And his intelligence is what has brought a ton of his success, his ability to problem solve has brought him a lot of success. It's also brought him to some of his biggest failures. And at the same time, that's probably true of Klopp too. Um, it's true of Mourinho. You know, his ability to be like a fucking dickhead, <laughs> like and create this really strong abrasive mentality he used to be able to like make his whole team as abrasive as he is you know and like to create the whole group as our group and everyone outside is abrasive and we're just gonna like fight our way to victory and now like that's also created some of his worst things it's just like as his circle gets smaller everyone dislikes him and it's it's a me against everyone mentality um I, I think when you look at the story and the arc of a lot of managers' careers, you see their greatest successes coming from, you know, just sort of the shadow of their own best and worst qual well, their their best qualities, also how those become weaknesses in different points. And, you know, those are just three examples of this. We talk about Pep and Klopp a lot. Hmm. Um, I suppose yeah. they're, 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 they're both, they're elevating the the levels of play, you know, far beyond anyone else over the last five years between the two of them. Like yeah. nobody, like no no other coach in the league who has come and gone in the league has been able to build what they've been able to build. Yeah, not for a while. Not well, for a while. I, I can't remember the last you know, one who's had sustainable 
you know, probably, honestly, probably Mourinho at Chelsea was probably the last That's one who was able to build, you know, but like there's been good managers have come and gone, but to be hitting 90 plus points every season. Yeah. Like that's exceptional. It's absolutely right. exceptional. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's true. I forget what, what, how we started this conversation exactly. Oh, in terms of our transition. Yeah. And like, um, you know, some of the things that will be complicated about our transition. I, and, you know, that's part of why it's really important to have people around you who challenge you, too. Um, you know, like, so speaking for myself personally, like, I have a, a decent sense of, like, my own. It fits well with what I do career-wise, which is fortunate. Like, I I love the process of things. Like, I love helping people get the best out of themselves. I love solving too. Like I'm a thinker. And so like when I'm working with someone, like if I can help them get their identity sorted and get things on the right track, like I love doing that kind of work and starting with something that feels like a project and like, you know, getting it sorted out. But like I'm, once that project is solved, like the actual winning or like the keeping that machine running is sort of less interesting to me, not with my clients as much, because there's always challenges that come up <laughs> with clients and like maintaining that kind of career. It's like much more difficult to maintain like a high level career than, um, you know, just getting it running and then keeping it going. But like, um, you know, I have a, a close friend of mine just fucking loves winning, yeah. you know? And so I, I know there's times where like, if we swap spots or like if we were both managing a team, I would be really interested in getting that team to be really good. And then they should fire me and hire him. I guess. And like with Klopp, like I, he's really, like he brought this group and elevated this group a ton. I don't know who the voice of like cutthroat winning is. He should hire, honestly, the person, Dave, would be perfect. <laughs> No, like seriously, like his thirst for victory is unsurpassed. Like as a balancing out voice, like in a cutthroat voice for just winning, like that would be a good voice to have around. I wonder if there's someone around who's like that right now. Because mm. I, Pep Linders does not seem like that character. I don't hate Pep Linders. I don't think he's <laughs> a chip. Um, but some there there needs to be that voice right now because certain people need to go. And um, I don't know that Klopp can see that super clearly. Would that leave you concerned for the direction we're going? Mm, has he ever done it? That's the question. It's year seven. He has... He's never done it. He's never... He's never made a really impressive year eight, year nine, year 10, maybe partly because he never had a chance to, like he got a new job or he, he left, but like, um, there's an open question there. So this is, this is new ground and maybe he can do it. Um, but some things are going to have to change. And like, you know, one of the big things, like one of the reasons it's important to move on in some ways from a Milner or a Henderson so I have mixed, a lot of people are like, oh, well, we can't keep these players around just because of their off-field influence, hmm. right? Like that's an argument that I hear. And 
Usually, like, I'm kind of skeptical of that. I was like, you can have people around for their off-field influence. Often it can be really important. You want to pass down that culture. The problem is when you have really influential people who aren't necessarily on the field or as dominant on the field, um, you prevent, you, you stop people from rising to those roles who are now the dominant people on the field. And so getting rid of them, not to necessarily say that I would advocate for that, like you need a really good sense of what's going on in the group, but allowing some of your really influential people to move on when they're not the most influential people on the field means that people get to rise into those roles. As long as Milner's there, no one gets to be the new Milner. Mm. They're taking up space and like maybe in a good way, maybe in an effective way, but it also means that space isn't occupied by people who might aid in that transition. And so you need some younger leadership. And I don't know who that is or what that looks like, but like, um, you know, Milner was a leader on this team when he first came in. I forget how old he was when he first came in, but maybe you want your leaders to be 26, 27, 28, or 22, 23, 24, if you've got the personalities for it, rather than mid-30s. 407. 407. You should be the me, I think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> is he 36 37 i think oh then i got him i got him back you got him yeah so what i'm taking from this conversation andrew is that we need to jettison milner and henderson and klopp and get dave hendrick in as head coach to actually win the league i would not jettison klopp and bring in dave hendrick although i would be really <laughs> interested to watch it I would, I'd be thrilled to watch it. Actually, maybe I would. I don't know. <laughs> Let's dress up the new. I, I think you want to, if I'm in the club, I would really want to know that there is a voice somewhere that can be that cutthroat. And, you know, like if, if I'm consulted, I might say we need to identify younger leaders and give them space to lead. Mm-hmm. And like, if we can't, we have to give them that space. And whether or not that involves keeping Henderson and and Milner around, I might even have a conversation with them, you know, and just say, look, like, you you guys are great. You guys have done a ton for this club. Who do you think are the next voices that can really step in? And can you help them? And can you help them move into that space? And I, I think that's probably how I would encourage a group to do it is like, you know, then you get that institutional memory, you get maybe some of their qualities, like they get to pass that down, but also, you know, they're assisting in that transition of leadership rather than being relied on for it. And maybe that was the plan this year. Yeah, and, certainly. And, and due to injuries, uh, you know, that's hasn't been what has been the case. So I, I suspect mm-hmm. Miller was probably not meant to play as many games as he has played this season. And I think that... Maybe that was his role, is to help bring those younger lads on and identify mm-hmm. who are the ones that can actually step into the role. But the, the the hardest piece, I think, is what you just described, is giving them the space. Mm-hmm. Us as fans giving them the space, but also their teammates giving them the space yeah. as well. And the Milners and the Hendersons giving them the space right. because they believe they can do a job. Right. Of course. They don't want to be replaced necessarily. Right. And sometimes we don't always have that ability to detach ourselves from ourselves and look at ourselves in an objective way and go, do you know what? I actually can't do this anymore. Like it's different in other sports, like say rugby, where physically you, you know, you're getting hit 
by people twice your size and you're, you you can't wake up the next morning without being in severe pain. You physically know, okay, I actually can't do this anymore. Yeah. It's different in football. So maybe that is the challenge and maybe that's all of this is in the mix at the moment that is causing some of the challenges that we're seeing um, the, the, the club have to play out through. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, I think that's a fair conclusion is that this group probably needs to figure out how to effectively transition the emotional impetus of the team. You know, if that's at the heart of Klopp's philosophy, then, you know, we need to understand who that becomes. I think there's some really good candidates for that, by the way. You know, like I really do. Like I, I love the personalities that some of our like um, mid twenties players have and, like Jota, I like I like the way he approaches the game a lot. Like I think, I think Trent needs to step into sort of a leadership role. Like I think, um, I think that's where he's struggling right now is like somewhere between being young and being the kid, mm-hmm. and um, you know being a leader in the group and taking on the responsibility of that. I don't think he quite understands what that looks like for him yet. Yeah. And he definitely is someone I think would probably need a bit of space to to figure that out for mm-hmm. himself, not even being directed by Klopp or anyone else to do it. I think he needs to figure out where where do I fit right now? I'm not the, yeah. the young upstart coming in who's blown everyone's socks off. I am part of this, but I am only, what, 23? Is he 23? Yeah, he's no? 23, 24. So. Like, you know, he's, he's really young. Well, I, I imagine too, like, um, you know, the part of that transition is going from, I'm one of the younger people on this team, which maybe in some ways is still true, right? Because the team has aged with him. So he's still as comparatively, and this is what I mean, as long as Milner and Henderson are there, it's hard for Trent to see himself as a veteran mm. because there's not that turnover. And so, you know, giving him space doesn't necessarily just look like giving him time and a chance to try and fail, although that's an important part of it. It also means someone prompting him to say, hey, your voice matters in the locker room. Or talk more. Share your experience more. Like, push the people around you more. Be the one who's directing other people on the field instead of the one who's being directed. Mm-hmm. And, like, that, I don't know that that's, like, really natural for him, but I also think he could be really good at it. Um yeah, I think you're right. I think he definitely could. Andrew, that was a cracker. <laughs> Even if it's only you and I think, think it's a cracker, that was a cracker. Well, I, re- I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it. We got a bit of philosophy in there. We got a bit of evolutionary yeah. psychology, you know. You get everything with this we, podcast. We, we lived up to all things bringing the minds to the pitch. I think we lived <laughs> up to inspirational introduction. Well, Andrew, thank you so much for your expertise. We really appreciate it. And you subscribers and you free listeners, we hope you're enjoying it. We'd love to get your feedback. Please jump into the Discord channel, the Minefield one, and let us know what you think. And give us any ideas that you might have for any future podcast that we would do. Because we've got a World Cup coming up and we want to fill that that void so we're open to suggestions so please do jump in and if you're not a subscriber do subscribe because you get tons of fantastic content including dave hendrick for liverpool manager one one more aside 
I forgot to include Trev when I was talking about the voices of <laughs> the uh, post-match Raw. I do appreciate his perspective on the game, too. The three of them and everyone else who steps in there do a nice job of sorting my my uh, my thoughts out after those games. So um wanted to include him as well because obviously the one that ties that whole thing together. Andrew, we've talked up one Navin man. We don't need to talk up two Navin men. <laughs> They're all inbred and, you know, come all of the same mother and father. Okay, so, and they all have the same cousins and that's just the way it is. So we'll only talk up one per episode. So we're going to strike that from the record. Trev, no, <laughs> we'll, we might talk you up next time. On that note, right. <laughs> I'm pulling the plug. I'm upset now. <laughs> Andrew, have a good one. We'll chat to you all soon. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement, and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community, where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.